We're going to do a bit of audience participation today. You're expecting some sort of a prop or something or movie references? No, audience participation today. Okay. When we, first of all, I need to know, my Dunkin' Donuts people, where are you? Okay. 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 Here we go. Where, where are my Starbucks people at? Okay. So here's the challenge. If you're a, a, Star, a Dunkin' Donuts person, I need you to pretend, for the sake of my audience participation, that you're a Starbucks person. Can you pretend? We'll forgive you, okay? Is that, does that work? So that's my little caveat. Is that fair? Okay. All right. When you're going to Starbucks, okay? So imagine you're dragged there kicking to screaming if you're a Dunkin' Donuts person. Is that fair? So when you're going to Starbucks, begrudgingly or very excitedly. By the way, anyone want to take me to Starbucks? Life is good. Okay. So... Who are my, I go in and I order inside people. Okay. Who are my drive-through people? And then a lot of you like were just passively resisting and saying, I'm Dunkin' Donuts forever. Am I right? Okay. So here's, here's my question. So as we've shifted in this time where we have a lot of different options available to us, the drive-through can be very enticing. Except, have you ever said, hey, I want to go to the drive-thru at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and all of the cars were there? Have we ever had this as an issue? Okay, so about a week and a half ago, my father and I had this challenge. He was really sweet. He picked me up from work and he said, David, I'd like to take you to Starbucks. I said, that'd be so great. I would appreciate it. We got to Starbucks. The entire parking lot was packed with cars. So he said, that's it. We're going home. I said, wait, 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 wait. You know, Dad... Someday you're not going to be here anymore and aren't like I'm going to be sad that I can't be in a Starbucks drive through line just waiting for 40 minutes with you. So why don't we just sit in the line? And he goes, that's really morbid and kind of a weird thing to say. And I say, okay, wait, wait. Okay, wait, fine. Wouldn't you like to be able to sit in a 40-minute Starbucks drive through line with your dad? You know, one of the things we look at is we see that things are temporary, and that can seem kind of gloomy or morbid, but the reality is, is that the things of life are temporary. Let me give you another example. 110 years ago, we had the Titanic. Who's, who's my Titanic history scholars? Anybody, anybody watch all the history stuff in the Titanic? Anybody not know what the Titanic is? You can be... If I asked my, I've got high school students, I'm bivocational. If I asked my high school students what's a Titanic, they'd be like, I don't know. That sounds something made up on the internet. But, okay. So the reality, oh, high school teenagers, I don't even know what to say. If you're a teenager in the room, I apologize. But if you have teenagers in this room, I apologize to you even more. Okay. So here's the reality. You had this ship that was supposed to be the most amazing boat of all time. At the beginning of this passage in Mark 13, which we'll get into, Jesus and his disciples are there at the temple, which is like the pinnacle of earthly success. In the Old Testament, they were sitting and they were like, we just want to have a temple. They had a tabernacle for a while, then they've got a temple. Then they get conquered and you have this whole thing where the temple is wrecked and the walls are wrecked, but now the people are so glad to once again have a temple. And that's what we find in this text. And so one of the disciples says, hey, this is amazing. This is invincible. It's forever. It's permanent. And like the Titanic, because we know that the Titanic was supposed to be that indestructible, permanent, perfect vessel, how many, how many journeys did the Titanic make? Not even one. 
Not even one. It didn't make it all the way, right? Not even one. Because we remember that not everything is permanent. In fact, nothing is. So we have a problem. I like to do a problem. Let's look at it up on the screen. This is a problem in our life, in the text, with the Titanic. We easily become complacent, prioritizing temporary things over what's eternal. J. Bruce Ismay, who I got to play in a production of the Titanic in high school that no one attended, but it was my only, I'm serious, in in my only lead role in high school, I finally get to do, okay, this is not a made-up story, ready? I finally get to be a lead role, and then the school that I'm going to decides to have two plays running simultaneously, and I have to be in both of them, and one of them I'm in the chorus, and one of them I'm the lead role. Now, which one do you think that all the people from the school come to? Not the Titanic, okay? Another story for another day. Here's the problem. We easily become complacent, prioritizing temporary things over what is eternal. This happens in our marriages. How many times do we have an issue at home because of something that's not that big of a deal, right? In work. How many times do we have a blow-up with a coworker because of something temporary that doesn't actually really matter, How many times do we have a win-lose situation with a friend, with a subordinate, with a boss, with a client, with an employee? It doesn't matter, right? Because we easily become complacent. We should have an eternal mindset. We should say, I follow Jesus. But we prioritize these temporary things over what's eternal. Fortunately, there's hope. Here's our big idea for the day. And I'm going to be fun. I don't have a prop. I got this. I got some audience participation. We're going to keep the focus on Jesus. Everybody keep the focus on Jesus over here. If you're with us on the live stream, uh, I apologize. But if you're with us in-house, we've got a couple Jesus signs. Everybody look. Everybody look. Keep the focus on Jesus because here's the problem. Keep looking at Jesus, but I'm going to talk about that Christmas tree. Do you see that Christmas tree? No, don't look at the Christmas tree. Keep the focus on Jesus, okay? (laughs) Oh, I'm serious. Here's the problem. We should live with the mindset of keeping the focus on Jesus, and it's so easy to prioritize everything else. Look how shiny it is, right? I have an 18-month-old. Henry goes up to the Christmas tree. Keep looking at Jesus. Henry goes up to the... Oh, I'm serious. Henry goes up to the Christmas tree, and he's mesmerized. In our lives, we become complacent, and everything that doesn't really matter, that should have a place, distracts us. Keep the focus on Jesus. So now, here's the thing. We have an opportunity to have a little bit of a theological foundation today. So you can say, David, what does this have to do with Christmas? This has everything to do with Christmas. Look at this slide. Here's Advent. Advent is looking forward, preparing, celebrating the coming arrival of Jesus, but it's actually three arrivals. Yes, we take time to celebrate the birth of the baby, and we remember the arrival of Jesus in the manger. Advent's also about the arrival of Jesus in our hearts as believers, that we have this opportunity to say, wow, you know what? Yes, I celebrate Christmas. Yes, I celebrate the birth of Jesus. But how amazing is it that I have Jesus' love in my heart? How amazing is it that when the temporary things of life start to consume me, wait a second, I can calm down. Jesus has arrived in my heart as a believer. And also, we do know that there's the future arrival and the second coming. We know that one of the reasons Advent, so Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus. Adventus was actually the celebration of the arrival of Caesar in Rome. So you would have these celebrants who would gather and they'd get excited and they'd prepare the way and they'd keep watch because Caesar was coming. 
and they'd look forward to it and they'd be so excited. We also have this opportunity to prepare to keep watch for Jesus' arrival, for the second coming. Now, Scripture, and this is very clear, you may hear on the History Channel, on YouTube, in popular culture, in metal music, in horror movies, all sorts of different ideas about the end of the world and the end times. That's kind of all not helpful. The reality is, is that we know as believers, we're preparing to celebrate the arrival of Jesus in the manger. We appreciate the arrival of Jesus in our hearts as believers, and we look forward to the second coming. We don't know when it is. And if you look in this passage, it's super, super, super clear. Because who is Jesus? We've asked, who is Jesus each week we've done the series? Jesus asks us to keep watch. We can become complacent. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to keep the focus on Jesus, everything else starts to matter. Jesus asks us to keep watch. It's very clear in this text, and we're going to go through it. It's very, 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 very clear that none of us knows the hour, None of us knows the ways, but what we are asked to do is we're asked to keep watch. We're asked to live in a way so that we're not caught off guard, not out of fear, out of joy. We're in the Christmas season. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate our family. We celebrate all the good things, and we keep watch. This is what Jesus asks us to do. So we're going to look at this a couple ways. We're going to see a couple different ways that we keep watch, that we keep the focus on Jesus. Here's the first one. We have to remember that nothing earthly is permanent. It can seem like it is. The, the earthly things that divide our marriages, that divide our families, that get us into trouble at work, that get our subordinates into trouble at work, that get us in trouble in the supermarket, whatever, these things seem permanent, but they're not. Very early on in this chapter, a disciple asks a simple question. He doesn't even ask the question. He just observes. He says, wow, this temple, all this stuff, it's so amazing. It's such a big deal. And Jesus says this, verse 2. Yes, look at these great buildings. But they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of one another. Because you see, it was easy to look at Herod's temple and say, wow, this is, this is all life's going to be. It's not. Anybody ever visit Jerusalem? Is Herod's temple still there? How many walls are still there? One wall, right? One wall, still, so it's demolished, right? That's just part of life. Every earthly thing is temporary. It's not permanent. Now, here's a really interesting thing. Who are my people? I told you a lot of audience participation today. Who likes to say that they follow all the news and all the current trends and all of the different things going on in our world? Anybody really, really informed? too depressing. That's okay. That's true. Well, there was recently another example of a company or a bureaucracy not being too big to fail. Have you ever heard this term, too big to fail? Too big to fail comes from a 1984. Here's what it comes from. Congressman Stuart McKinney in 1984 had the opportunity to call some banks and some corporations too big to fail. This was his idea. He said, you know, we finally built things that are now too big to fail. The problem is, is then we had Enron, then we had Lehman Brothers, then we had all the Bernie Madoff stuff, and most recently, we have the whole Sam Bankman-Fried thing, and we have the whole thing with FTX. The reality is, is that nothing earthly is permanent. No matter how big something seems, remember the Titanic? Not permanent. 
Remember that temple that the disciples looking at? Not permanent. So here's my question. Are you struggling and focusing on things that are temporary, thinking that they're permanent? Placing those as the most important? Letting it define your marriage? Letting it define your parenting? Letting it define your workplace experience? It's a heart check we all have to do. We have to be honest about it. If we are prioritizing the things that are temporary, we've got to keep the focus on Jesus. Okay, here's the next one. Difficulties are actually temporary birth pains. Now, I apologize for using the pregnancy imagery, but Jesus uses it, so we're going to have to go with it. But here's the thing. I, it is what it is, okay? It, it is what it is. Birth pains. But we're going to talk about some good, helpful things about this. A little bit farther on, Jesus is now saying, because he's asked, okay, if nothing's permanent, then how is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? The disciples want to know all the information. They're saying, okay, Jesus, you're saying this is, this is the deal, so can you give us all the inside information so we can know and be prepared? And he says, not so fast. But there's going to be difficult things that are going to happen. There's going to be difficult things in our lives. Anybody have a perfect week last week? Who had a perfect week? Nope, no hands. Zero hands. Josh had a perfect week. I love you, Josh. I believe you, Josh. You know, I wish we could all be a little more Josh, but the reality is, is that difficulties in life exist. And let's see how they're temporary birth pains. Look in this text. Verse 8. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only one of the first birth pains with more to come. Anybody looking forward to having wars? Anybody say, wow, I'd really like those? What about, what about earthquakes? You know, I made the mistake of the day before, I'm a, again, I'm a school teacher, made the mistake the day before Thanksgiving, I caved for like the first time in my eight-year teaching career, and I showed a movie. I really did. Guilty as charged. Okay. So I showed a movie. You know what I showed? It was my earth science class. So in my earth science class, I showed there was this National Geographic Disney movie about all of the x-ray pictures under California and Washington State and Oregon of all the different dormant earthquakes and, and all the different things going on underneath. It was terrifying. It was awful. We don't want that in our life. No one wants earthquakes. Anybody want famine? We don't want famine, right? We, we got through a pandemic. We're not looking forward to famine. But the reality is Jesus makes it super clear that these are part of life and they're birth pains. Jesus describes things that took place thousands of years ago and they can happen today. Now, in the Atlantic, the Atlantic says this about birth pains. I told you we get to birth pains. Here's what the Atlantic recently described birth pains at and I'm someone who hasn't given birth and is not going to give birth. So let's see if this is accurate. For those of you, you don't have to out yourself, but for those of you that have gone through it, let's see if you agree with this. Not my words, the Atlantic. Ready? The pain that is unlike all other pain. Anybody agree? But the, you know the good thing about birth pains? Yes, they're difficult at the time. And the challenge is, right, not only are they really painful, and there's stigma with expressing it, and people have opinions about should you do an epidural and should you not, and there's all these different opinions, and people come out of the woodwork with all the opinions. But you know what you get at the end of the birth pains? The little squishy baby in the hat. And the blanket. 
Seems like they all have the matching hat and blanket. Now, here is the thing. In our lives, we go through difficult things in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our homes. I have little kids. My little kids have not yet. We have jobs. Some of us have not gone through really difficult things yet. I don't want anybody to go through downsizing and things like that, but we know these exist in our world. I don't want us to go through polarization in our society, but we know it exists. We know that the difficulties in life are birth pains, and here's the thing. If we get complacent and get focused on them, they can totally take us away from our faith. And we start to, here's a millennial thing. I'm 33 years old. Millennials have this thing where a lot of us who grew up loving Jesus in the church have done something called deconstructing. Have you ever heard this phrase? Deconstructing means basically imagine that your faith and your value system and your lifestyle has been constructed for you, and so now you have this building. And deconstruction is the idea of, hey, there's the problem of evil in the world. So that doesn't really reconcile. And hey, there's, there's real challenges in my society like racism and polarization. And there's real challenges in my society. So you know, that makes me rethink everything. And so I need to just tear things down. Now the reality is, is that if we are built on all the temporary things, then yes, we should deconstruct that. Some deconstruction is good. If I want to have a life and a faith and it's built on all the wrong stuff, I should tear it down. I should allow God to help me tear it down, and I should build it up with Jesus at the center, keeping my focus on Jesus, not getting everything else being the big thing. Amen. And this is what I'm noticing with so many of my friends growing up. I've often said, some of you have heard me if I've talked to you, I've said, hey, it's really interesting not to toot my horn at all. I'm more concerned. I noticed that so many of the people I've grown up with who we're Christians when we were growing up. They've walked away from the faith. And what is our responsibility as Christians, as believers, as the church? It's not to judge those people. It's to say, okay, yeah, the difficulties in life can be a lot. And if we don't make our lives about Jesus, yes, it's very easy for everything else to start to get in the way. So therefore, I can't control or judge anyone else. What I can do and what each of us can do is say, hey, is Jesus the center of my life? Am I keeping the focus on Jesus? Or is it becoming everything else? Because here's another problem. False prophets are everywhere. Everywhere. They're always, always out there. Jesus makes it clear. The problem is, is that sometimes, yes, we have to deconstruct because we are built on false teaching, on false ideas, and things have taken our attention that we should be giving our hearts to God. We should be keeping the focus on Jesus. Instead, we're getting distracted by all of these other things. Everything else. Take a look in the 22nd verse. Keep going. Because Jesus is giving this as a warning. This is in Mark's gospel. For false messiahs, messiahs is anyone that says that they can save you, and false prophets, any, anyone or anything that says, I can speak truth in your life, will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Now here's, we have to be really clear about what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, False prophets and messiahs are made up and you'll know because they can't do amazing things. He says, no, 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 they can do amazing things. The challenge is they'll do signs and wonders and that'll get everybody distracted. Remember in Jesus' ministry, in Mark's gospel, 
the disciples and a few people are able to say, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Everybody else is just seeing all of these miracles and seeing all these signs and getting excited. Remember the Pharisees a couple chapters ago when they're like, hey, Jesus, give us a sign right now, then we'll believe, but prove yourself. The reality is, is that keeping the focus on Jesus doesn't mean saying, hey, that means that my life is going to be so amazing right now and I'm going to have all this prosperity and I'm going to have a million dollars and a big, big mansion this moment. The reality is, is that if I am expecting that, people are going to be able to take me in all sorts of other directions. People are going to be, I'm going to be very vulnerable to false prophets, to false messiahs. Now I have to be careful on this one. Because the, if I use modern examples, it's very easy to go left or to go right. It's very easy to do things that are going to condemn people, and I don't want to do that. So instead of giving you, because we can all think of false prophets and messiahs on all sides of political aisles and discussions and everything. So instead, I want us to think all the way back to the 19th century. If you've ever heard a phrase, snake oil salesman, who's heard this phrase? Okay, here's where it comes from. This guy, Clark Stanley, was the self-described rattlesnake king of America. He had factories, check this out, even though he was famous for his medicine shows out west, he had factories in Beverly, Massachusetts, and also in Providence, Rhode Island. And so what he did is he got this snake oil, and he took it out and he said, oh, this is a miracle cure and it's going to be amazing and it's going to do all sorts of stuff for you. And they had these big shows and they would show healings and all these things. And people took the bait. People were vulnerable to it. But the problem is right around when this also passed this, they had the Pure Food and Drug Act and they took Mr. Rattlesnake King's elixir and they said, okay, let's run it through some modern machinery and see what's really there. What did they find? There was no value of the snake oil. There was no medical value, no nutritional value, nothing. He got fined $20. And so many people got swindled, and so many people were taken for a ride by it. Now, here is my question. Are we allowing ourselves to be pulled by all the false prophets and all the things? Because I gave you a 19th century example, but there's so many. You go on Instagram, they're everywhere. You go on Facebook, they're everywhere. You go out in public, they're everywhere. You go to a conference, they're everywhere. You go to your workplace, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. There are people who want to influence your life and take advantage of you. Rather than being judgmental, there's something in Scripture that we can use. It's called the Berean test. In the 17th chapter of Acts, there is a group of people called the Bereans. Now, the Bereans hear what is said, and then they search the Scripture to see if it's valid. And if it is, then they take it into practice in their lives. This is what I'm going to ask each of us to do. Here's how we can apply this. If you hear something amazing, so you see a sign or a wonder, take that and see where in Scripture it's backed up. Because you will be shocked how many people are just blowing smoke, how many people are just taking you on a ride, trying to take your money, trying to take your time, trying to take your influence, trying to take whatever, right? We know that there are so many people who want to be our Messiah, who want to be our prophet. And again, we don't want to be judgmental about this. We just say, hey, that's so cool that you're saying that. Where, where is that in Scripture? Oh, it's not? Oh, interesting. Okay, well, it, okay. Um, you have fun with that, and Jesus loves you. All right, let's keep going. So if we're going to keep the focus on Jesus, 
we have to remember that God's word is eternal. Remember, we talked about everything else was temporary, everything else is not permanent. God's word is eternal. Keep going because Jesus keeps talking. Jesus has this really long, if anyone knows um, modern speak on the internet, we would say TLDR, too long, didn't read. Well, let's read it instead. So here's what Jesus says, okay? Keep going. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Each of us has to come to terms with what is permanent, what is temporary, what is eternal. My three-year-old, I have a little three-year-old. She often will. Um, my wife says that I'm kind of a sucker sometimes. Any, any dads in here kind of, you have a daughter and they can, they can get more out of you than they can get out of mom? It happens, right? I'm seeing some head nodding. Thank you, Mr. Mullen. I appreciate that. So here's the thing. Uh, we're, we're partners in crime, my friend. Uh, guilty as charged. Okay, so here's the thing. Each of us has to come to terms with this. We have to. Because my three-year-old will ask this, she'll say this, and so innocently, ready? I'll say, so Ruby, would you like me to stay with you at bedtime for a little bit longer? She said, yes, all the minutes. <laughs> it's like, what? Wait, wait, what? Like, um, one more minute? She said, no, Dad, all the minutes. And this is where she'll pull out Daddy. I won't be Dad anymore. It'll be Daddy, stay for all the minutes, please. Yeah. Right? Each of us has to figure out what is eternal and what is not. She's coming to terms. When she's saying that, she realizes that I'm, I'm not going to be in her room forever. I'm not going to be in her life forever. That's not morbid. That's not gloomy. That's just reality. I am her dad, and I'll always love my daughter, but the reality is, is that my direct role in her life is temporary. Things in our lives are temporary, but God's Word is eternal. The theologian Karl Barth has a really, really long magnum opus called Church Dogmatics. I have a bunch of biblical scholars in here, so if you are familiar with Church Dogmatics at all, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know exactly who you are, my friends, and I love you so much. I'm so glad to have you. Now, here's the thing. Church Dogmatics is how many volumes? It's like so many volumes. I don't even know the number. I should have looked that up. Reverend Cushing is, is doing this. I don't know if this is 20 or 200. It's a lot of volumes. But Karl Barth was asked to summarize it, and you know what he said? His entire magnum opus, like ridiculously long. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen. That's an eternal truth. Now, everything else is. Anybody else, anybody else who's fishing and trying to get you to do something, that's not eternal. Anybody who's trying to influence you on Instagram or trying to get you to support their cause, again, we want to do that Berean test. Show me where that is in Scripture, and I'm happy to be on board. But the reality is, is those things aren't eternal. Those are going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words remain. So here's my question. How are you prioritizing your time? We know that God's word is eternal. We know that the scrolling things on Instagram are not. There's no shame or judgment. How are you prioritizing your time? I'm learning as I get older. I always make a joke, and I say I'm old, and people laugh and say, no, you're not. So ready? I'm old. Haha, no, you're not. Okay. Okay, as I'm getting older, and I think each of us has to come to terms with this, my greatest resource is not money, it's my time. My greatest resource. If I can have an hour back, that hour can be used so many different ways. How am I prioritizing my time? How are you prioritizing your time? Are you taking time to get to know God's Word? Are you taking time to say, wow, Okay, you know, David, I, I agree. 
you have some times in your life, David, and I have some times in my life where I get taken hook, line, and sinker by things that want to be my prophet, things that want to be my Messiah. Guilty as charged, we all do it. I have it, we all have it. Okay, David, so what next? Well, what next is simple. First of all, there's going to be no miracle fix. There's no quick fix. That's the problem. Anybody who's trying to sell us with something not eternal wants to have it all go really quick. And here you go, do this one thing, and in 30 days or in two days or in 30 minutes, your life's going to be great. So anybody who's trying to sell you something quick fix, definitely say, hey, uh, like the Brian people, you show me where in Scripture that is, and by all means, I'll be on board. But that's not the case. So am I getting to know the Bible? Am I reading through the Gospel of Mark? We're in the 13th chapter. If you've been with us, that's awesome. If you haven't, start today. Mark's Gospel is not very long to do. We're going to have a challenge, and I don't want to talk too much about it, but get excited for something we're going to do as a congregation in the new year where we're going to really prioritize biblical literacy for the entire year. That's all I'll say. The reality is, is heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Am I reading the book of James for practical advice in my life? Getting frustrated with things and opening, maybe I have two minutes. Fine, let's take the two minutes, read two minutes of the book of James. And say, wow, that's helpful. Wow, I should consider a joy when I face suffering and trial. And here's our final thing. God knows when it's over. Only he does. Only God knows when it's over. The reality is, is if I'm going to keep the focus on Jesus... I got to stop thinking that everybody else has the answers and that there's some sort of a magic thing that if I can figure out, it's interesting. We usually talk really positive things about John Wesley. This is positive-ish. It's funny to me. You might not find church humor funny, but again, my resident theologians in here may appreciate this. So one of the things that happens in society is people want to know when the world will end, when everything's going to be over. So one of the things that was fashionable is everyone would come up with their date of like, when will the world end according to the Bible? Now, of course, they all got it wrong. But John Wesley had his date, and I like his date better than anyone else's because he predicted a date after he died. He just made sure to have it away. So at least if you're going to suggest a date of when the world will end, at least pick a date after you're dead so that when we get to that point, no one can say, hey, uh, you got that wrong. None of us know. None of us know. And, and Jesus is really, really, really clear about this. You can have a really developed view, amillennialist and premillennialist and postmillennialist and anything else you want. You can do that. By all means, I encourage you, read the Scriptures. Now, probably don't start with Revelation. Probably start with the Gospels and the book of Acts and James and the Pentateuch, and a lot of other things. But sure, we can get to this point where we say, yes, I have this very clear view of what I believe will happen. That's wonderful. But the point we can all agree on is that only God knows when it's over. And therefore, I need to keep the focus on Jesus. Because again, my friends are going to hold their signs up. It's so easy to get distracted by everything else. It's so easy to get distracted and make the big thing me sitting and for our hours arguing about the world went with this and it should be this view and this is how to view Scripture and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Or I could be loving people and serving people. Amen. Or I could be praying with my children. Or I could be spending time with my spouse. Or I could just be opening up the Gospels and actually reading them and getting to know what they say instead of getting pulled into these rabbit holes. Because only God knows when it's over, and this is one that's really easy to make real for us. Has anyone ever worked in a restaurant? 
oh, look at that. Hey, uh, that is a great um, rite of passage, by the way. I really think that people who work in restaurants are some of the greatest people because it's really important for each of us to go through that very stressful job. You know what I learned, be, learned and I won't tell you the restaurant, you know what I learned being the burger cook at a restaurant for a number of years? You know who you fear more than anyone else? Not the health inspector, the serve-save inspector. There's a company called ServeSafe, apparently, and that's the person that you have the emergency protocol that if they walk in, you dump all the stuff. And I'm sitting there being like, you know, if I ran the restaurant, wouldn't you just do it in a way where you don't have to dump it? And you, whatever, that's, I don't run a restaurant, so I don't know. Here's the thing. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, you know the value of not being complacent, keeping watch, because you never know when that ServeSafe person is coming. Now, if you didn't work in a restaurant, who remembers middle school? I love going to middle school. Middle school is such a defining time. Okay, pop quizzes. Anybody remember a pop quiz? The dreaded pop quiz. Who wants to be honest and had a school anxiety dream sometime this past month about a pop quiz or a binder check or anything, right? The reality is we still do. Why do we? Because it's something that's burned into our minds. We know the value of keeping watch and keeping that math binder in order so that when my teacher comes and checks, I'm not caught off guard and I don't get that failing grade and then my parents take my computer away and I'm not able to play StarCraft over the weekend. But instead, I keep that binder all nice in order, right? We keep watch. So here's my question. Are you living in a way where if Jesus came back, you'd feel prepared? And if you're not, I'm probably not either. Let's be honest. Very few of us fully are. This is something we, we often gloss over. At the Advent time, we, we love to comfortably, and there's nothing wrong with this, we love to comfortably focus on, hey, I'm so excited to celebrate the coming of Jesus in the manger, which already happened. That's wonderful. But we forget that in the early church, they really took the time of Advent and broke it into two halves. The first half was about remembering that we live in advance of the second coming. And we need to be prepared. That we don't know the hour. Only God knows when it's over. But we keep watch. And the second half was being excited about the coming of the baby Jesus. When I was in college, here's my final story. Who wears contacts? Anybody wear contacts? I don't wear contacts. Here's why I don't wear contacts. My, my wife forgot about this and then she remembered and she's like, oh, you're going to tell that story? I promise. My father told a gory dental story um, last week. There's nothing gory in the story, just my college stupidity. Is that fair? Okay. So I decided, anybody ever remember being 19 and knowing it all? It was so nice knowing it all. Where did that knowledge go? I could have used that in my marriage. I could have used that in my parenting. Could have used that as a pastor. I wish, could I take me knowing everything and have it back? I would love it. Okay. Another story for another day. Contact lenses. I decided, the 19-year-old brilliant professor that I was, that even though they were disposable, they were disposable if you were old. For someone young like me with good health, I could do whatever I wanted with those. So I slept in them. I wore them for like six months. Um, I, I used to drop them in like dirt and then just clean them off with sink water and put them back in. Do you know what happened? I got a really bad eye infection and almost went blind in this eye. And my doctor was like, so you don't know everything. You're not very smart, and here's what's going to happen. You're either done wearing contacts because 
you're not responsible enough to wear them, or you're going to go blind, and you're going to like wear an eye patch. So do you want to wear an eye patch, or do you just want to have a normal life? And I say, hey, doctor, I'd like to have a normal life. Good. Then wear glasses and stop it. And here's what I'm saying with this. The reason this matters is we take things that are temporary and not eternal, and we want to use them however we want. We take the things like our job, and we make it the most important. We take things that are good and, and helpful, like a marriage or parenting, and we make that the most important. The problem is, is when we take something and don't use it as it's designed, we get an eye infection. In our lives, when we take the things that are temporary and not eternal, and we try to not keep the focus on Jesus as we should, but instead we say, hey, that's going to that's gonna solve everything. I'm going to be set with that. We have all sorts of issues. So here's my question today. Are you keeping the focus on Jesus? We'll go to this slide. Look at this. Because nothing's permanent. The things in our lives are not permanent. Difficulties are temporary birth pains. They're actually, when things are difficult, it's a sign that good things are coming. It's a sign that Jesus is Lord. If I'm experiencing something difficult in my life, that is a reminder that it's not the end and I can look forward to the coming of Jesus and I can keep watch now. And yes, I have to go through difficult times, but that's okay. Keep the focus on Jesus because false prophets are always out there. God's word is eternal and only God knows when it's over. Are we keeping the focus on Jesus? Because the reality is, it's something we say, we have this little thing we say in Christmas time, Jesus is the reason for the season. Do we put that on social media or do we believe that? And the reality is, is that oftentimes we'll do our little family gatherings and we'll feel good about it, but then we'll go all right back to being super anxious and neurotic about all these things that ultimately don't matter. And we'll do all these things where we'll get our focus pulled in all these different directions. And we'll let these people take us captive that have no business because only Jesus is our Lord. I invite you this Advent season, this Christmas season, keep the focus on Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We have an opportunity to respond at the end of each message. And I'm going to invite the elders of the church for it and the band for it. And as we're singing our final song, I'm going to ask you this question. Is your focus on Jesus? Because if it's not, this is a great day to just be honest about that. And sometimes it can be unnerving, right? Sometimes it can be hard to say, oh, I don't want to stand up in front of everybody. Hey, it's amazing to stand up and just say, you know what? I get it. I don't have all the answers, but I'd like to focus a little more about Jesus. And sometimes the act of getting forward and praying and having us prayed over, the reality is, is that gives us an opportunity to make it real, to say, hey, you know what? God, I'm going to give you today. I'm going to say that today I'm going to focus on Jesus and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to come forward. I'm going to get prayed over and then I'm going to say, Lord, I give you today. Then when I get to tomorrow, Lord, I'll give you tomorrow. Because there's so many other things that want to take our attention. There's so many other ways that want to pull us in directions. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. So again, if your focus is not fully on Jesus, come forward during this last song. We'd love to pray for you.